Namaste. Just to give a quick background, the book, what today we have received as the book, The Synthesis of Yoga, it was serialized in the Arya from the year 1914 to 1921. And uh, later on it was collected, all the writings were collected and given a book form, which should have been revised to some extent, not completely, to some extent. So while we delve into the book and the fundamentals and principles of yoga enunciated remain the same, but it's important to note that uh, post-1926, which was a significant event in the yoga of Shurabindu and the mother, certain elements of yoga took a little more personal turn. For instance, in Synthesis of Yoga, we have the mention of the Divine Shakti and uh, post-1926, it became opening to the Divine Mother in her embodied form. So, this uh, apart, but by and large, the book gives us the fundamental um, grounding of what this yoga is about and how do we proceed by and large. It doesn't give so much a detailed practical practices, but there are enough practices, there are enough uh, um, you know, understanding so that the practices can evolve because uh, Shubhinda makes it very clear in the very first chapter that uh, yoga is much more of an inner engagement with the divine, with the highest, rather than a set of practices, highly specialized methods, which have their advantages, but often they also have disadvantage because we get so much tuned and stuck in the processes that we forget the essence. So with this little background, we turn to the pages of the synthesis and in synthesis, Shurabindu starts with a grand uh, opening. He reveals to us what really is yoga. So, yoga is a term which has become very household and familiar term. But uh, something being very popular or very much uh, well-known outwardly doesn't really mean that we know about the subject. So, he reveals about yoga the same definition as given by Swami Vivekananda and in a certain sense he revives the ancient Vedantic idea of yoga and that idea is yoga is conscious evolution. So what it really means is that the evolutionary journey from dust to man has carried on unconsciously because there is an evolutionary power, an evolutionary energy which is hidden in matter itself. And it is the uncoiling of this evolutionary energy which has led to a progressive manifestation of new faculties, capacities and new emergence of forms one after another. If we follow the tantric tradition, then 84 lakh lakshorasi yoni. But whatever be the truth of the matter, yoga is a process when this unconscious evolution, which is going on in every element of creation, takes on a conscious form. So, you know, it... it uh, uh, completely goes with what Shri Krishna says in the essays on the in in the Gita that this entire srishti is managed by him through yagna. So it is he, the divine, who does the yoga. The same thing we see in Vedanta, where the purusha shukta, where the one purusha became all this creation. So in every element of creation, there is the divine presence, but it is given to man. To come in conscious contact with his, with this divine presence. In other words, man is a unique mid-term of evolution where the creation can meet the creator. 
So man in this sense is a very uh, interesting phenomena that on one side he is burdened with all the past evolution. He is burdened with the, you know, uh, the dust, the... Uh, the metals, the mountains, the rivers, something of matter we all take inside and we are ourselves constituted of matter. We are burdened with the little worm, the virus, the ape, the, the serpent and the crocodile and bird and all these creatures in their essence in some state or the other exist within us. And we are also burdened with the aspiration and dream which take us towards the future. So we are the junction point of the evolutionary journey that has taken place so far, hitherto unconsciously, and the further evolution that is yet to come um, from man to beyond man. So all yoga starts with this premise that there is something greater than the human consciousness. If this premise is not there, then there is no yoga fundamentally. So this premise that there is something greater than human is also found in religions. But the difference is in religion we are happy with just believing that there is a consciousness greater than man. And we may use the term God, we may use any kind of term, doesn't matter. But this consciousness which is greater than man, greater than human, we can never become one with it. All that we can do is seek its intervention in our everyday life. So the God of religions is normally portrayed as a being who is benevolent, who will give us whatever we want, but we won't change. We remain where we are, but he will help us through the human journey. This is one understanding of, uh, this, this is how religions are formed. But yoga parts from religion by saying that, well, it may be a starting point, a belief that there is a greater power, but Yoga's premise is that we can become one with that power. So yoga literally means union, yukta, to join, to unite. So not only it says that we can become one, but man is destined to become one with this greater power. And if it doesn't become one with this greater power, then he'll always be a limited being. And it's never good to be limited because we are all the time burdened and harassed with something greater, something beyond. That's why man is a seeker, he's all the time wanting. This seeking takes, you know, forms like wanting, wanting, wanting. But actually deep inside, this is seeking for something greater, something more luminous, something more beautiful, something which is free of all the taint of agitation, a peace that, you know, is all the time self-existent, a bliss that doesn't change from happiness to sorrow. All the time we are in search of that. So yoga provides us a journey through which we can actually arrive at this state of union. Now, so far it is common to all yogas, though we have lost this profound truth and yoga has become a system for, you know, gaining health, uh, stay fit yoga and all kinds of yoga. So, well, that's something which I'm not going to get into. But uh, yoga is essentially about completing the half that we are by joining with the other half of our own lost luminous uh, horizons and peaks. So, given this understanding of yoga, now in tradition, basically this joining with the greater reality is uh, understood as a means of escape from our earthly limits. Now, this is views as that our evolution follows up till this point where man is. Now, beyond man, 
evolution becomes individual. So up till now, evolution is to a large extent a collective phenomena. It's not that one chimp changes into a man. A group of chimps changes in, change into man. It may not be all the chimps, but a group of chimps change into man. So on and so forth. But after man, because man is highly individualized, the journey becomes individual. And once we unite with the divine, what do we do with earth? What do we do with the rest of humanity? We are told that we have to just leave it behind to its own fate, its own destiny, its own process, its own evolution and be done with birth and life and death. As some people say that we have to arrive at moksha and moksha is about, uh, you know, janam karam maran ke phere se mukt ho jana. But that's not how yoga was ever understood and that's not how Sri reveals it to us. Sri says moksha literally is freedom from ignorance. It is not escape from the world. In fact, we try to escape from the world because we think that world is incorrigibly ugly. And here we depart from the traditional understanding of yoga. According to the traditional understanding, even a yogi as great as Swami Vivekananda who got it right when he said that, you know, yoga is concentrated evolution. Perfectly right, you know, one of the best definitions ever given of yoga. Yet with regard to human nature, he said that human nature is like a dog's crooked tail and it cannot change. And most yogis take it like that, that human nature cannot change. The soul can be free. So, here Sri Aurobindo departs and says, no, human nature not only can change, it's destined to change. And he has his own cogent logic about it, which we'll, we shall you know, see as we go through. So the first thing about Shurbindo is that in the very first chapter he reveals that life and yoga are not two different things. They are one thing. So life is a subconscious yoga. When we convert it into conscious yoga, the life itself becomes full. Meaning thereby we don't have to leave anything externally, but we have to keep upgrading everything internally. So this is what once we understand it, uh, meaning thereby there is a way we deal with the world outwardly. And we all know that this takes us to a point and after a point it, it doesn't work out because of the thick shroud of ignorance. But with yoga, as we change, so yoga is not just that in one leap from the human we change into divine. There are several successive layers and planes through which we move. And each of the level, each of the degree of change that we experience, we begin to change our very dealings with life. So in Shurabindu's view, yoga is conterminous with life, meaning thereby we don't have to leave anything outwardly, but we have to transform everything inwardly. And the more we transform, the better we understand life. Uh, we realize, for instance, that behind the veil of darkness, there is light shining at the core. Behind all the ugliness and hatred and jealousy, there is love shining at the core. Behind all our errors, there is a knowledge trying to seek its way towards the summits. Behind the mask of death, there is the core of immortality within us. So it is this which we have to bring out. And as we bring out, we make life better and change the world for better. So this aspiration is also there in all of us for terrestrial perfection. Life should become better. So if we have to escape from the world, then how does life become better? How many more souls, if they escape from earthly life, life remains as it is. But the yogin, the ideal yogin is he who returns back to the world. He may need some period during which he may like to withdraw from the world, but it can only be a short period. He has to return back to the world and as he returns back to the world or continues his yoga while he is in the world, engaged in the world, 
the energies, the forces, the power, the wisdom that he is gathering inside has an impact upon the world. And in this way, yogin of the integral yoga is one who joins world and God. How? By realizing God within and by being in contact with the world outside. So he is also a yogin, is such a person who joins spirit and matter. So normally we consider spiritual life as uh, one kind of life and material life as another kind of life. Meaning thereby that well spiritual life is all about wonderful inner experiences where you sit in meditation and have peace, you experience bliss, you have periods of illumination. But it, when it comes to material life, it will follow its own uh, you know, norm. But uh, well, if spiritual life is to have no impact on material life, then it's really not worth uh, pursuing so much uh, because you know it leaves the world just as it is. So here, Shubhendu says, because man is the meeting point of both matter and spirit. That's again the beauty of man that we have some matter within us, obviously, and we also have a calling for the spirit. So again, in human consciousness, the two can meet the material and the spiritual, and can become one. The third aspect of his yoga is that man is not alone and he is a collectivity. We carry multitudes within us and we are in connection with world and its creatures, uh, relationships, human beings, animals, plants, everything around us. So this, because a yogin of this yoga uh, stays in the world and practices the yoga, so quite naturally it has an impact on every the whole milieu which is around him. So this yoga seeks to fulfill the dream which ancient uh, humanity has always seen of a perfect kingdom of heaven upon earth. But first the kingdom of heaven within and then as a result the kingdom of heaven outside. So it, it is like the principle of contagion that the power of yoga begins to be transmitted to everybody around. So this is the first thing that Shurabindu reveals to us. Then he reveals to us this whole broad landscape by the steps that nature has taken. The whole evolutionary journey. So first, what does what comes out of you know the Big Bang is matter and material matter also first in the form of energy which condenses and becomes this this matter all over the universe. Now we can imagine a big uh, you know telescope and then start zooming in. Now billions and billions of stars, galaxies, suns, and God knows countless earths and planets spinning into space. Then the divine chooses one spot for his grand experiment. And that spot is earth. So we can zoom in now on earth. So earth is the chosen place where a grand experiment, earth itself is the laboratory. And in that laboratory, all kinds of things begin to emerge as a result of the impact of energies from higher and higher worlds which are uh, which bring out from matter what is hidden inside. So we have to understand evolutionary process from Shurabindu's point of view. So normally we just, uh, in evolution, we have this missing aspect that there is a challenge from environment and the uh, creature strains and as a result of the strain, something emerges. Now it applies very well to giraffe. That's the typical example which is given. That you know, the trees were long and the horses strained their neck, neck, neck and finally they became a giraffe. Now this, this goes very well with the giraffe. But it doesn't explain that uh, what was the challenge to the mountains that they or you know the rocks that they brought out of them living, breathing uh, moss, you know, green algae and moss. So this, this is where Shabindu says that all the elements, the divine himself, with all the powers and aspects is involved in matter. So what this involution means is like a tree is involved in a seed. 
So in every grain of sand, there is the complete divine element. This is there in the Upanishad. We have forgotten it. When it is said, out of the full, full came. And uh, even if you take out full, out of the full, still it will remain full. So the perfection is seeded right within the grain of sand. And that's why we see that uh, though life and even creation from the day one could have been chaos. And yet there is a pressure from within towards an order. So, material world is created because there is a pressure from within for order and the first, very first particles, the sparks are arranged around a nucleus and so we have the atomic world and then solid matter. So, what happens then? What is there in solid matter? Now, if we take a close look at everyday experience of life, we, when we go to the landscapes like mountains, then, you know, rivers, even barren mountains, just river. Sometimes when we are seated there, we begin to feel as if there is a life throbbing inside. All who are sensitive can feel it. And that's why because there is a life inside, people used to withdraw to these spaces even to receive that. They are not completely inanimate. There is something inside which we can sense, but we never really explore it. So indeed there is life inside, but as an imprisoned possibility. It is there inside, struggling to emerge. So a time comes when there is an impact from the planes of life upon material existence and there are upheavals. As we know, upheavals took place, catastrophes and many kinds of things. And out of matter, life emerges. So that is the second step. Shobindo uses the word bodily life. Now for a long time, when new element comes in, there is a struggle. Who is the master? So it's like when a child comes in a house, so who is the master? If somebody asks a parent that who is the master of the house, the parent will surely say, of course we are the master. Now the baby is smiling, you know, because after five years you ask them again, say, I, I think we are the master, but ask after 15 years who is the master and parent will say, you know, whatever he says, accordingly we have to do. So all creation is like that. So, but over millions and billions of years, Nature has perfected this bodily life in such a way that there is a perfect adaptation between life and matter. Life, to the extent it can master matter, has mastered matter now. So it can make the, you know, clay fly, it can make the clay run. After all, what is, uh, what is a horse, galloping horse? It's, it's living matter. And you know, what is a tree? It is living matter. So uh, life and matter have found their a reasonable harmony. It cannot be complete because ultimately matter is the first born. So beyond a point, if uh, the child, you know, becomes 20, 25 and tells the parent uh, at gunpoint that give me your wealth, otherwise you are gone, then parents will say you go out of the house. So this is what happens when life presses upon mat matter in bodily life to change it, change it. See, life always remains young. That is one thing which people don't understand. Youngsters think that parents have grown old, but actually even at 80, they are young. So... Uh, beyond a point, if the parent is pressed too hard, then the child leaves. So that's what happens with material existence. But still there is a reasonable rapport between body and life force. So this has happened over billions of years. That is perfected. So it is already evolved. This is the first step of uh, you know evolution. What is the next step? Next step is mind emerging out of life plus matter, which means out of living organisms, mentalized creatures begin to emerge. So when, when do they emerge? They start emerging in the, uh, you know, we can see a kind of mind is there even in the first cellular organism. But if we don't stretch it too far, then we'll see it is said that, you know, 
दैट इवन फिशेज देवर सम स्टोरीज हाउ दे कैन रिमेंबर बट डेफिनेटली रेप्टाइल्स डू रिमेंबर सो दिस फेबल्स दैट स्नेक्स रिमेंबर नाउ दे मे नॉट रिमेंबर फुल्ली बट देर इज समथिंग लाइक ए रूडिमेंट्री माइंड स्पेशली इन द कोबरा इट बिगिनस टू स्टार इन द बर्ड देर इज अ माइंड विच बिगिनस टू यू नो रीड अंडरस्टैंड क्रोज इफ यू सी द लाइफ ऑफ क्रोज सो क्रोज कैन वेल अंडरस्टैंड मेनी थिंग्स अबाउट ह्यूमन नेचर दे आर वेरी गुड साइकोलॉजिस्ट सो दे विल टीज यू दे विल टेस्ट यू लाइक अ रियल यू नो कमांडो यूनिट स्टैंडिंग आउटसाइड विद घेराबंदी एंड इवेंचुअली यू गिव इन so they they know that you know at some point he's going to turn inside and that's the their moment to take the uh, food so this is how in in uh, in animals also um, four legged animals we see that mind is beginning to emerge yet it is very much at the mercy of bodily life meaning thereby this emergence of the mind is only confined largely towards the bodily life's maintenance which means food procreation that's how it is largely then as the animal evolves this changes into some kind of mutuality affection higher animals like elephants and horses dogs cats they are they are quite they can become you know affectionate they can attach themselves so there is the emergence of a greater kind of life under the pressure of the mind even an expression starts expressive mind begins to you know with the voice and the vocal cords and they start to communicate and then finally comes man where the mind begins to have a free play now here again we see the same challenge so on one side now mind wants to mind has its own domain so it wants to explore so many things uh, i mean the thought can stretch itself into what is beyond time and space but at the same time it is still tied to bodily life so the same challenge with life and body had this now the mind has this challenge meaning thereby it is said in hindi very um, i mean it's not a good phrase but you know that's how it is said bhuke pet na bhajan gopala if you are hungry you can't do bhajan of gopala is absurd ha huh? you can absolutely do hunger is not so important those who know how to do bhajan will do bhajan very well uh, even if they have they are hungry but the point is that we are still at the mercy of the bodily life so unless people have trained themselves for the mind to be freed of the bodily life we'll see that when people have fever when they are hungry when they have some problem then they cannot really allow this the mind becomes tied to that it is not free when they are sick then the mind is dragged into the sickness it is too much involved into the sickness of course if one is a trained yogi then one knows how to detach the mind from that whole bodily life complex but this adaptation between the mind and the bodily life where mind is the complete master of the bodily life it has yet not completely formalized mind still it tries to master the bodily life it does not fully if it could then by the thought itself we should be able to treat and get cured but there are those in whom the thought has become so powerful so this is the second step of nature wherein there is a uh, adaptation going on between the mentalized uh, structures and the bodily life and bodily instruments so this is the second step of nature but even before this second step is complete we see a third something which is emerging and that declares itself in the aspiration of a mystic who begins to start aspiring for something beyond a greater reality a greater truth seeks for you know wisdom and truth and light and bliss and peace and uh, a love which is cosmic sentiment so this is the third kind of experiment which has started and we see it uh, you know manifesting in saints and sages 
and um, such you know mystics and yogis uh, all through the history of the human race mind is still a common end domain but mysticism and spiritual seeking is not yet it is still in a nascent stage so who are these saints and sages they are nature's early experiment wherein it is trying the human consciousness to shoot beyond the mind so these are the prototypes or a kind of forerunners Uh, just like in chimpanzees some chimpanzees you see the mind stirring so in number of human beings we see that there is stirring something which can be called as a spiritual consciousness so these are the three kinds of evolution which are taking place first level is more or less complete the life has established itself into matter for good mind is by and large establishing establishing itself and kind of gaining supremacy over Uh, life and matter and the spirit is yet to emerge so this is the threefold life that shurbindo reveals to us in the course of evolution now he zeroes in on to the spiritual evolution which is going on so in spiritual evolution there is this urge to find a greater reality a vaster truth so how do we find it so in systems of yoga we see the process is very simple we are kind of and closed within a magic circle of nature because of which we cannot see beyond except through the eye of imagination so what is god we paint him you know in the skies we show like on television shows that there is a cloud in which is you know uh, narada is moving with um, earthly instruments or there is indra always i don't know why they have to show cloud and smoke i don't know i mean but probably it's like a heaven <laughs> they want to show it's in the skies it has to be blue color now this this is all symbolic there are actual worlds like that and there are states of consciousness where we can enter consciously but we invariably we have these imaginations which try to capture something which is real and true but through the lens of imagination but yogi is not happy with imagination he wants to go there he says i don't i'm not happy with you know just watching television and reading about this fantastic story he says i want to actually meet who is this uh, you know my father thou art in heaven so <laughs> so what does he do how does he go there he realizes he is in the prison of nature so wherever he goes beyond a point he can't tak 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 he tries to sound but he cannot so what he does is he says i must pierce it so how do you pierce it you have to start with something within the circle to go beyond so that something within the circle he has to use one of the powers of nature so he starts preparing one or the other aspect of nature to pierce a hole through this magic circle so how does it work very simple make an iron sharp it becomes a sword make light concentrated it becomes laser energy you concentrate sound it becomes ultrasound with devastating possibilities so any energy or activity of nature if we concentrate it becomes a power to pierce through the circle so we see in the different systems we pick up one is one kind of energy energy is always one but it it uh, differentiates itself in terms of its expression so bodily energy is picked up in hatha yoga so the bodily energy is picked up and it is uh, concentrated concentrated through various points through mudras and you know eventually it begins to pierce through somewhere into the a uh, magic circle and begins to escape into a greater possibility but so where does it escape normally bodily energies will escape into the vital world it won't straight away take us to the spirit so what happens when it enters the vital world certain capacities and powers which are not found on earth 
in the physical body can begin to express itself they are gifts from the vital world and we know what they are they are ashta siddhis um, garima mahima lakima anima they are not spiritual siddhis they are vital siddhis but to an earthly being it's too much you know there are people who other day somebody was saying that you know our guruji was so great that um, people uh, he could make himself so heavy that uh, even lot of people couldn't lift him or he could make him, him himself so light that a child could lift him so i didn't want to dishearten him that this is not a spiritual siddhi this is a vital siddhi and hat yogis knew this very well that's why you see hanuman ji uh, angad all these because they were uh, deh chinme and pran chinme they were largely living in the you know physical vital that's the you know vanara the early prototype humanity which is largely based in the animal so they could pierce through of course hanuman had something greater but um, they could pierce through by simply doing these practices and could achieve something which would seem impossible now we cannot easily get that because we are meant for something greater so this is one kind of through hatha yoga then you have the other kind of yoga raj yoga it deals with the mind so where what does it do with the mind potentiates the mind picks up concentrate concentrates the mind concentrates the mind pick up a thought concentrate it and ultimately you pass beyond through that concentration you pierce the magic circle and again you enter into the beyond so what about the trimarga of the gita you have these three aspects of the human uh, mind which are thought um, cognition then there is will cognition and there is uh, emotion the feelings so pick up any of them and concentrate so what does a gyan yogi does he picks up one thought it doesn't matter what thought it is but if he has the widest thought then the realization is also widest so he picks up a idea that god is in all aham brahmasmi i am god tatvamasi any thought which is of course not any thought means i am an animal then you'll realize that you are an animal that is what we, we were taught in fourth standard and it shook me that man is a social animal so if you keep saying man is a social animal you will discover you are an animal because that is the power of thought that's why psychoanalysis is so dangerous because it keeps telling you you are nothing but a creature of the mud and that's why reverse hypnosis when people tell their children you are no good you are no good you are no good or sometimes we tell ourselves we are bad we are horrible we are unfit so we'll end up realizing it because that's the power of thought but if we keep reminding ourselves deep within we are god deep within we are the divine in the deep essence of things then a time comes by concentrating upon this thought not that one moment i say yes i know i am divine but after that we are all behaving like uh, you know animals animals are very good behaving like humans okay so the thing is that you know if we concentrate upon one single idea for instance god is in all all is in god and god is the all you know the ishopanishad speaks about this yasmin sarvani bhutani or atmanne vanupashyata so any of these we pick up these thoughts sarv khalvidam brahman so any of these thought like ghor rishi gave to shri krishna achutam now akshitam you know you are unfallen you cannot be destroyed you are the imperishable one see how does shri krishna establish arjuna in yoga we try to understand gita by the mind that's not how he does it he very simply tells him that oh part dhananjaya you know i am your none else among the pandavas i am arjuna <laughs> imagine god himself telling him and then he tells him that you know you are the soul which doesn't die which is immortal 
and by saying all this he establishes him already in a state of yoga because constantly whatever we think about our mind begins to change in that direction so one of the premise fallout of this practice is that concentrate on what you want to be and not on what you do not want to be so if you keep saying that you know i am afraid of corona i don't want corona then corona will surely come because you are ultimately calling corona corona you know there was this story about when at the end of the war krishna is asked why did you go to kansa for his uddhar so krishna says what can i do right from beginning he was calling me before i am born he is calling me Huh? Was he calling you? Yes, he was only thinking when Krishna will come or when this guy will come, then I am going to kill him. And after I have come, all the time he is having my bhakti. Your bhakti, he is remembering me. So I had to go and meet him. And when I meet him, only one of the two things can happen. He is going to be gone, but he can do it willingly, bhakti, or he will wrestle with me, gone again. Either ways, he will be absorbed into me. So this is how the thought, when we concentrate upon an idea. becomes that reality of that idea reveals itself when we pierce through the magic circle then bhakti we know bhakti is concentrating through the energy of love so instead of loving this that everything and everybody on the surface we love the divine and this can be a twofold process one is the deity whom we choose and none else or the universal conception of the deity meaning thereby the deity is not only inside me and my personal property in my temple but the deity is everywhere in everybody so both ways in the integral yoga of course is the universalized conception of the deity but nevertheless by constantly our feelings going concentrating on to the deity on to the one divine a point comes when the struggling heart pierces through the magic circle and all becomes beautiful blissful free full of love and all grows beautiful because the what so this is the way of bhakti and then there is the way of will or works so now normally we are all the time doing various kind of activities but all our energies are going into pleasing my ego somebody else's ego my ego somebody else's ego and we are all the time busy doing that so the result is also mixture sometime we feel happy when our ego is satisfied sometime we get happiness because somebody's ego is satisfied and Till you, this is a very dangerous game, okay? Because if you try satisfying people's ego, then you are getting caught into a vicious cycle. Till you satisfy them, you will be the best person. One day you say, "Ki look, you know, I have my own life. You had it, <laughs> so <laughs> you are not supposed to have your own life. You are supposed to only satisfy." So this is not the way of the works. This will, which is scattered into hundred directions, pleasing the ego and pleasing the desired self. how the desire cell makes us run from one place to another all the time we concentrate all this energy and put all our will into service of the divine i want to serve the divine so what happens that through this process now slowly will begins to become concentrated simultaneously we uh, cut the roots of the desire cell by saying by practicing nishkam karma i'll do works but not for the results then for the joy of service of the divine so this will slowly becomes one pointed till ultimately this two pierces through the magic circle and we discover the master of all works we discover the divine will in creation so this is the traditional yoga once we pierce through then we are done then it doesn't matter what happens to the rest in traditional yoga once the piercing takes place you breathe that wonderful air then it's up to you you want to come back into the world be in the world but now you know you have an access door once it is open it will never get fully closed 
वट एवर यू मे डू द डोर हैज बीन ओपन सो वॉट मेनी योगी इज डू दैट दे कम टू द बॉडीली लाइफ जस्ट फॉर मेंटेनेंस ऑफ द बॉडीली लाइफ और फॉर सम वर्क दैट दे आर एनगेज इन बट द मोमेंट दे आर फ्री दे आर बैक इन टू इन्फिनिटी एंड इटर्निटी दैट्स हाउ दे रिजुबिनेट दमसेल्स एंड देन दे आर बैक इन टू दिस दिस मैजिक सर्किल बट नाउ दे नो दे नो दैट दिस इज अ शेडो प्ले द रियल थिंग इज अबाव सो दे कम एंड टीच दिस टू ह्यूमन बींग्स दैट यू नो वॉट दिस इज अ शेडो प्ले द रियल थिंग इज अबाव सो दोज हैव फेथ एंड फॉलो द प्रोसेस ऑल्सो पियर्स थ्रू द सर्किल एंड डिफाइन बट देन you can't expect that the mass of mankind you know look at the laborious process it's not natural to us what is the the only thing which is real the divine doesn't come naturally because within the circle of nature you can't experience you have to do specialized process to peers and it's not that easy that uh, you know in one day you can concentrate though it is said in three days one can achieve it <laughs> but it takes long 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 the path is long full of difficulties snares pitfalls dangers so shobindo says that this is not enough you have pierced through the medals magic circle many people have done it so what he wants is this nature within this magic circle this itself should change so this hole which has been rent has to become wider and wider till our consciousness opens on every possible door and window opens to the infinite and the infinite invades the finite so he invades our mind invades our life invades our heart invades our even body so that this world itself changes this earthly life becomes a life divine so this is the basis of the synthesis of yoga so synthesis means that every it's not one part one aspect it's not just the heart not just the mind not just the uh, will uh, the body the breath everything is engaged in the yoga so here again in the final that fifth chapter of the introduction he explains that what really is synthesis so synthesis if it is a question of escape from life then synthesis is meaningless to start with then why do all the trouble they pick up one thing and just go and meet because infinity is the same why take the trouble of even thinking about synthesis but if this world has to be changed then every part of us has to be engaged in yoga so the first understanding of synthesis is that it's a complete engagement of our entire being with the divine no part has to be neglected or left second is mystically it is considered that if you combine all these specialized practices then one will arrive at a synthesis meaning thereby i do a little bit of raj yoga i do a little bit of hat yoga i do a little bit of pranayam i do some meditation i practice some bhakti and karma yoga combined plus 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 equal to synthesis of yoga so that is how we teach in see the difference i'll give an example of a teaching so this is how algebra physics chemistry biology sports athletics everything is uh, taught separate separate subjects you bring together and but take another example somebody is not interested in studies how do you teach him all these things so ask him what you are interested in so he'll say i love to jump okay start jumping now you see what does jumping involve simple act of jumping or playing he says i want to just play now what does playing involve it involves the body for sure it involves life for sure it involves thought for sure it involves the capacity to focus in energy it involves algebra it involves mathematics it involves physics it involves chemistry it involves biology it involves geography terrains different terrains where you play it involves history how there has been an evolution of man's capacity to jump <laughs> play 
and it involves the joy of life and it involves the spirit so in everything everything is there so what shirobindo says is basically synthesis means go to the core the essence of yogic practices what is the essence of yogic practice not method and technique method and technique are only instrument if that's what you know kabir says that if by uh, taking off your head uh, not the head sorry the hairs you could uh, become a sage become a yogi then what is it that there are a lot of animals who don't have so much hair on their head they would be yogis and if by uh, growing a beard you could become a yogi then you know every lion and goat in the jungle would be a yogi so uh, if by standing still for hours you could be a yogi then the mountain will be a yogi so basically it's not the practice it's the essence so what is the essence behind yoga every yogic system starts with this faith that there is a greater consciousness so first thing necessary for yoga the fundamental essence is faith that there is something greater than what we experience within this mental complex so this is the first element which is faith second is behind all the practices there is the will supposing this will is not there see the difference parrot parrots all the mantras doesn't realize the divine he realizes a mirchi that's his ultimate limit he also realizes a prison unfortunately because he can do all these tricks he is either in the prison or the zoo worse off than the parrot who basically is moving around in the jungles so it is not about a mechanical practice but by the state which is within so that state within is called as the will to be why do we practice yoga is much more important than the outer practice because the divine knows himself in the heart of the seeker the divine is not a slave to okay he doesn't come like a school teacher and with a stick in one hand and say okay tell me bachcha how are you sitting are you sitting bolt upright and puts a chin and that's good for health but he is not going to see that that you know whether you are your chin is sticking to the chest or sticking against the wall he looks at the heart and knows what is this fellow trying so if he sees within the heart a ravana ambition so he says okay do it 10000 years even if you cut your head and put it at my feet i'll still not give you what you are asking but if he sees within the heart a simplicity and aspiration a will to be one with the divine then even to a prahlad he comes so the idea is that faith and will to be are the most fundamental important aspects of the synthesis and what is the third aspect now alone when we strive by faith and will to be um, uh, you know there are some practices which imply that you have to do it only by the personal effort but in yoga it implies there is a greater consciousness whether we call it divine or not is a different aspect so this greater consciousness has a greater knowledge and a greater power that's why it is a greater consciousness so it's not something mechanical impersonal which is there and offers no foothold to us so when we begin to aspire when we have the faith and will to be this greater consciousness also leans towards us in fact as he would reveal it's the other way round this greater consciousness leans and touches us at different points so the aspiration is awakened so the third aspect is surrender all our being with all the apparatus that's how he explains all the ego apparatus with the entire instrumentality has to surrender itself to that which is beyond ego so there is the faith there is the will to be in the end faith and will to be are the master movements and the surrender to the 
divine. Whatever is man's faith, whatever is his will to be, that one ends up realizing. So that's what the Gita also says, Shaddhavan Labhati, and it also says that the man is his faith. So we look at human beings from the surface, but that faith and will to be ends up realizing itself. And in that process, there is help which is available. He is not alone. So meaning thereby faith, aspiration, sincerity of aspiration and surrender. These are the hallmarks. These are the critical elements of the yoga. Practices evolve. They are not hard and fixed. For different people at different stages or for the same person at different stages, there will be different practices. Some people need to... You know, if they are too much indulgent in their desires, they are very crude. So they need to be taught that, look here, you know, please eat the bland rice. That's how it is. And they may do it. Some people who are too expansive in their vital may be asked to just, you know, shut themselves in a room for some time to sit tight on their impulses. But others who are too much of an ascetic type may be asked you go out, see the world <laughs> a little bit. Learn to sleep not only on floor but on a proper bed also. So basically the practices are not something fixed. The moment we fix a practice, formalize it, put it under an organized institutional form, then we have finished the truth behind it. That's what should be the reveal. But if we have the truth within, then the practices will evolve because they are not fixed practices for all times, for everybody and even for the same person at different stages, the practice evolves. So this is the essence of the synthesis. And finally, in this process, he speaks of the four eights. And uh, what we need, one is, of course, we need to understand that's the value of the scripture. Otherwise, we'll all do everything by our own idea. That's the whole idea that we should read Madhra and Shurabindo if we want to practice the integral yoga. If I want to practice the yoga of the Gita, it will not do by reading WhatsApp knowledge about Gita that jo hua acha hua, jo hoga acha hoga. It will mislead us. We should read the Gita. And everything is there. If you don't know Sanskrit, read some authentic book like, you know, Shubindu, somebody who has realized or Swami Vivekananda, there, there are some good ones by Sri Ramakrishna Paramans also. I mean, the, the Ramakrishna mission. So read some of these books and we will understand that what the Gita is about. And of course, best is Shurabindo because he has lived in the world and practiced the Gita. Not withdrawn from the world like a you know, typical um, Swamiji and then you know, speaks about Gita. So, uh, if you want to practice the Raj Yoga, then we must read Patanjali's Yoga Sutras and then understand it. Not just that, you know, Yoga Sutra says Yama Niyam and you know, Asana Pranayam. These are preparatory stages. They are not the end. If we understand what their purpose is, we can achieve them by other methods. But if we have never read any of these things, then we are all... Uh, if you want to understand Bhakti, read Narada's Bhakti Sutra or Sandil's Bhakti Sutra. Or of course, as I keep recommending, Mother's Prayers and Meditation. Not Bhakti is okay, he is a great Bhakta, devotee, often we hear. Why? Because he goes to the temple and on the Tal Majira he dances. Now, that's not necessarily Bhakti. Very often people like to be in limelight, you know, when they are dancing and if there is a TV shot going on with a good sari and good this thing. It is not about that. Bhakti is deep inner state of surrender to the Lord. It may not express in any outward act. Or it may express but very silently and quietly. So we have to read the scripture is there. But scripture is a help. It will never contain all the truths. It's like anything we read in this world. We read geography. So geography tells us all about the world and different you know, places. 
So somebody would say that if I read the geography, uh, will I be able to walk from my house to the temple uh, because of that geography? No, because these are small details. That's how life offers. Even if you know the road, tomorrow there may be a pothole. So in real time, yoga is practiced in real time. It's not scriptural reading and transferring this knowledge. At the same time, all knowledge of scripture is marred by the human understanding of it. So when I read that all is Brahman, we have the story of Sri Ramakrishna Paramahansa where he gives says the story of a man who read that all is Brahman. So he goes out, all is Brahman, all is Brahman. Sarva Kalvidam Brahma. And he meets an elephant and he says, you are Brahman, I am Brahman. And the Mahavad tells him that fool, this is an elephant and you are you, he will kill you. So he says, no, no, you don't know. You are an ignoramus. All is Brahman. Elephant is Brahman. I am Brahman. What can Brahman do to Brahman? Mahavad tells him, move aside. But this man stands obstinately and the elephant comes and throws him to the side. He goes back to his master and says, what kind of teaching you gave? He says, no, you were too much in a hurry. You didn't listen to the full truth. You see, Mahavat is also Brahman. He was telling you to step aside. So meaning thereby, it's not enough to read the scripture. It's important to understand, dwell upon it. So how do we understand it? That's where comes the Guru. But Guru is not just who is going to explain the scripture. For that there may be people. But Guru is a most lightly used word. I see, you know, you have a human teacher, physics teacher, um, teacher in, you know, uh, chemistry or biology and you know Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, Guru Devo Maheshwara, Guru Sakshat Parbrahma, Tasmai Sri Guru Venava. <laughs> Guru is not such a light word. Guru means heavy. The word itself is not light. <laughs> Guru, Gurutva, heavy. He is burdened with knowledge of that of which we have not even an idea. Without Guru comes from the root Gu, which is light. He is the carrier of light. He is burdened with light. That's why he is Guru. So he doesn't give ordinary knowledge is the domain of Acharyas and Pandits and all these people. Guru is somebody who has the higher knowledge. Without that there is no Guru. And then there are different Gurus. One who can point out, okay, that's the road. And the other, the Guru of Gurus who carries you on the road. He says, no, no, I am not happy with Pandit. I have taken charge of you. I am not going to leave you. I will take you along. So that is the Guru of Gurus, the Jagat Guru, the World Guru, how he is carrying this entire world. And what is, what is his method? Shabinda says he has no method and all method. He can use the most trivial of moments for this grand revelation. That's the Guru. Guru is not somebody who just says, okay, sit for this practice, how many hours you have practiced. That's a teacher, Acharya. Guru says, okay, fine, in everything he will reveal the divine because divine is in everything. Every little experience he will use to reveal the divine. So we have the scripture and the guru. So while we have not to be a slave of the scripture, we have to be surrendered to the guru. That's if we have a true guru. Guru is a word used only in spiritual context. Then yes, Guru Brahma, Guru Vishnu, all the gods, their respect, their powers are to be seen in the guru. And the surrender has to be complete. But guru and scripture can do nothing if the disciple says, I am not interested. When the Guru wants to teach, carry, then the disciple resists. And the example I give is of a bird caught inside a bush of thorns. And the compassionate, wise person comes and says, Come, come out. This is not the place for you. Now it's very scared. 
all around the thorns and it has found a little safe clearing in which somebody gives the <coughs> food to it or it picks up some worms and lives but it's not ready it cannot trust the guru so that man puts his hand he is ready to get you know he is ready that his own hands are can bleed provided the bird allows those hands to catch and pull out but if the bird doesn't allow so what will happen in such a state the man has to withdraw the arms why because it will try to fly and escape the hands and end up hurting itself to the thorns so there is something to be done from the side of the disciple and that is called to surrender to seek with that aspiration he should be wanting to come out of that thorns but if he thinks so these are not thorns this lovely my ignorance is my comfort zone then it's very difficult then we have to go through life experiences till we reach that point and the fourth he says is as in all things there is a play of forces we are where we stand today as a result of our past energies which are continuing to have their play and they have a certain curve we have initiated it in a state of ignorance so they have to reach a point and then uh, you know what the master can do is he can mitigate it he can give you a direction he can deflect it a little bit but that play of energy is initiated in the past has to be gone through so that's why time is needed so we need to be patient it's not like we learn a technique and tomorrow we are done with there is a whole chain of cause and effect which we have initiated and while the guru can see it we don't see it guru has to take care that he doesn't disturb the chain and yet he mitigates saves us from the disastrous consequences that may have come and then carries us on the journey so that is through a play of field of forces and that is called time or kala so these are the four aids and whoever has these four aids is sure to realize and even if we have one of these aids the other can develop but most important is the faith and the will to be and the surrender to that which is so much beyond our own uh, reckoning so this is the first as part of the synthesis of yoga it's not known as the first part but it's the background and the introduction so tomorrow when we meet we'll pick up the yoga of divine works any questions most welcome Uh, Arjee, uh, reading. Um, I have a question. Like uh, when you are uh, doing this course, you are saying that mind is the uh, master of the body. But uh, at times, some people who are in sickness, they really lose their kind of a uh, control over the mind, and they really have a fear in them that uh, this is uh, the end of me. I, I don't recover. Uh, I don't have any progr- prognosis. Why sometimes this is happening? When when we are very good, we don't feel like that. so that's what i was explaining mind should be the master of the body but it takes a considerable amount of mental development to reach a point where the mind can reverse back and be the master of the body it should be it is meant to be it is destined to be but as of now because as i said the the younger one takes time to enter into a new household and completely be the master it's the same saas bahu struggle the saas comes the bahu comes is the first uh, you know to enter the house and all the members who are there she has to win over their heart she has to prove herself but a time will come when she will you know she if she perseveres she will become the master of the house but it takes time so mind is the youngest of the three deities the physical vital and the mental or in other words the the gods of matter the gods of life and the gods of mind 
So it is the youngest. So they say we are the elder brothers. How we can we allow you? So for a long time the mental energy has not yet completely emerged out of the grip of matter. It is still going on. So that's what I was saying. Bodily life has been perfected. But the mental life and its evolution is still going on. But it is destined to be. When the mind is fully developed. Meaning thereby I will give an example. Uh, other example the the positive one you know when there are people who are so involved in their mental world that they can be completely oblivious of the physical so i have read this i am not sure i have yet to check the authenticity but it may be quite authentic we know ramanujam he get used to get inspirations from uh, very high sources so once he had to undergo some surgery and when the doctor wanted to give him an anesthesia he said no no i'll be involved with the mental calculation and he was so involved and we all experience when we are so much involved in thought sometimes it physical events don't register but it takes time for the mind to be free in most human beings mind is tied to the body meaning thereby their life is moving around the bodily life food uh, children the daily images the uh, scents and uh, scenes that are going on so mind is not free so one of the first steps in yoga is to free this mind from the clutch of the bodily life and then it can arrive at its fullness. That we'll talk about it at great length when we deal with the yoga of knowledge, integral knowledge. Yeah. Thank you, Ajay. And when you're addressing, you said that God is all and God is in all. Uh, because I'm living a life like that because I accept everything and I'm very happy that it comes from you. And really, I'm very happy that I'm following this kind of life. Thank you, Richard Ajay. Thank you. Thank you. I've got a question, Alokda. Yes, yes, please. Uh, Ronil. Ronil here. Yes, Daniel. Um, how are you? Good, good. How are you? <laughs> Long time. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask a question. Uh, how, like, I haven't read uh, Shurabindo's uh, synthesis of yoga. How does uh, that differ from his different works like uh, The Life Divine? Okay. So, yes, that's, uh, of course, a vast uh, landscape. So The Life Divine lays the complete philosophical foundation of the yoga. Meaning thereby, uh, you know, we have different uh, systems, Advaita, Dvaita, Advaita, we have Tantra, all these different systems are there, Sankhya. So the life divine gives us, takes up all these systems, but not in the way uh, that, okay, a chapter on Advaita, a chapter on Dvaita, not like that. But in his own way, right from the vastness. And he gives us the philosophical background and philosophical basis for the life divine. There are also practices, practice in the sense what, how the evolution will finally take place in the last six chapters of the life divine. But basically, it's a philosophical treatise uh, for, again, a life divine upon earth. Whereas synthesis is more oriented toward the practice. Not that the detailed practice is given, but the basis of the practice, the fundamentals of the practice. The life divine, there is the theoretical uh, background, whereas in the, again, theoretical background, not just in abstract theory, but picking up everything from nature and uh, all the various systems of philosophy that we have understood. It is same as we have the difference between Vedanta and Yoga. So Vedanta is the philosophical statement and Yoga is the way to realize it. So life divine is ab about the philosophical statement of Shurabindo's uh, revelation and synthesis is the way to realize it except that many micro details are not mentioned there. For that one has to go into letters on yoga especially the mother with letters on the mother. Savitri of course is unique. Shurabindo regarded it as his most important work. So if one has to say one work which is complete in everything then it is Savitri. 
He started it in 1916. See, all these works finished by 1920-21. When the mother came, so more or less it was like now this has been stated. The seeds have been sown in the mind of the race. But Savitri is the mantra from the highest so that just reading Savitri can take us through yoga. So Savitri is very special. It started in 1916, the first draft. Though technically in a certain sense, the idea started in 1893 in Baroda itself. But uh, thus, as in its present form, Savitri, it started in 1916, carried on till 1952 weeks before Shurabindo's physical withdrawal. And Shurabindo himself said it's my most important work. So it's the completest. Everything is there in Savitri. But of course, the language is poetic and not just poetry, but the highest form of mantra. So Savitri is way ahead of everything that we can imagine of Shurabindo. I mean, mere reading Savitri is to do yoga. So we can imagine the power that is within it. Then the human cycle is about like looking at the entire scenario of the world situation, the, the march of mankind. If we have to use a term from the Gita, it's about the Lok Sangraharth. How is humanity marching towards its goal? So it's not about the, of course, there will be Vedantic basis, there will be some element of practice because it's a total truth. But it's focused upon the collective march of mankind through the different ages and cycles. And then, of course, you have the background works like the Gita, Essays on the Gita, the Upanishads. Now we have two volumes, Secret of the Vedas. They pick up the past heritage of India, the past truths, and uh, they are seen in the light of Shurabindu's own yogic experience and how the seeds of integral realizations are there in that. So these are the books that you know relate to the uh, past. Then there is the foundation of Indian culture, which is about what really Indian culture is about. It's not just about the surface uh, sanskar and the practices we are engaged in, the rituals, but the deep profound truth within it. Then of course there are poetic works, the future poetry, and we have collected poems, collected uh, plays. So these are all, you know, collected poems, for example, is just a marvel and a beauty. And, you know, to read them is to read the mantra and uh, just just feel the delight of that poetry. So what that future poetry will be. So that also there is a book by the name Future Poetry where he speaks about how because Shubindo wanted himself to be known more as a poet than a philosopher in terms of the nature part. And so what this poetry is, it's about the mantra and how the mantra reveals itself, not just in one language, what really is a mantra and how poetry can become a means because human speech is something very unique. Human beings can be differentiated almost on the basis of speech. So how human speech can be uplifted to its sublimest heights, not only in terms of poetry, but actually in everyday life. Because it's a direct instrument given to us by the divine. So that we will find in future poetry. So that's how these other works are. And of course, later on we have letters on yoga, which are later works, Shurabindu himself and the mother. These are later works. But during the period of Arya, from 1914 to 1921, which are called as the major works of Shurabindu, that normally doesn't include Savitri because it came later on. So these are the themes. So he covers the past in... A group of works. He covered the present, both human cycle, which is the march of mankind, uh, the ideal of human unity, war and self-determinism. And he also covered the philosophical background of uh, the truth towards which creation is moving and the truth which is behind creation in the life divine. And in the synthesis, he gives us the practice of the yoga or the foundations of the practice. So that's how it is. It's unimaginable how how much... Uh... I mean, it's it's probably he, he was a god. Like he is 
greatest one, but how he can write so many things and such as. Well, you see, there are two, three things which itself point towards what Shurvindo is. One is when you look at the works and many of these, he was writing from night 10 o'clock till morning 6. And straight they are coming on the typewriter, all written with silent consciousness. And everything is coming. Essence on the Gita is a marvel. He has not consulted the Gita and picked up a sloka and then... But every sloka is there if you go through the essence on the Gita. But it's in such a free-flowing style. So, definitely just looking at Shubhindu's writings, as somebody said in uh, way back in, you know, when the Arya had started publishing in New York Times, that it looks like he's a man moving amongst galaxies. That's how the vision is so all comprehensive. But there is another respect which also points, uh, you know, his being none else but, uh, you know, since you mentioned uh, the divine in a human body, which is a very different tone altogether. Those who had his darshan. So recently someone was telling me, you know, just looking at Sri body, one could know that he is not human but divine. And while people have seen different like golden color, you and change of body which uh, A.B. Purani documents, this lady who is now late 80s, is saying, you know, when we saw Shurbindo, there was a completely pinkish, creamish color of his body. And it was so soft. She says, we cannot imagine that this is a body. There was a pinkish, creamish hue, pink color. He says, have you ever seen a pink color body? I said, no, I have not. <laughs> I have heard about Neela body of Krishna and Vishnu. But pinkish hue of the body and people used to see this. So you can imagine, and he was not trying some, you know, magic to be like this. It was how he was. And it was so soft. So, and yet, Shubhindo had that, you know, leonine frame, if you look at that. So many aspects of Shubhindo, which is unimaginable. Yeah. Anukta, you mentioned about freeing the mind from the physical. Uh, <laughs> yeah. As we all know, it is uh, easier said than done as much as I know one gets very, very occasionally glimpses uh, and that too for such short periods. Other than offering to her what is a, what is perhaps a baby toddler step to embark on. So, uh, we will be, of course, touching upon these uh, processes as we go through the rest of the chapters. But the baby process is wonderful. The baby cat method that Shurabindu said. And uh, I can tell you it is the method, uh, soul method, which continues from uh, the beginning of yoga right up to the end. Uh, if you look at life, life starts as a baby and life ends as a baby. So ultimately in, in the middle you have everything else and the baby method is simply to call her name, japa of her name. This will not be there so much in synthesis because the mother's coming was later. That's what I was trying to say that the synthesis, uh, you know, post-1926 certain things have come much more uh, prominent in the center but he will hint toward the end he will speak about the divine shakti and surrender to the divine shakti so the method is surrender to the divine mother and the simplest method even when mother was asked tell me one method constantly the disciple says give us one method so she says the method if you want one method then it is japa and that japa is and the mantra is mother's name so just to simply the babies know it when they are born 
the first word they utter is ma the adults forget about it and then when we are old then again ma so ma 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 is the one not just a baby method it's a very powerful method yeah the name of the lord the name of the lord is the path okay so maybe we can uh, stop with this name of the lord ma 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 <laughs> ma 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 and meet tomorrow thank you thank you all of you thank you everyone thank you thank you tomorrow at the same time at 5:30 pm so we meet tomorrow same time yes